Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and how are you doing today? I, I hope you're having a good day. I I know that lots of days have lots of struggles, and if that's been your day, and that's what you've been in the middle of, I hope you can find some rest and refreshment in this time together. I always hope that we, we have this time of joy and some levity and a little bit of things are going to be just fine if we bring everything to the Lord. We're going to have Guide Talk today, or Guys Who Talk. The power panel is in place. We've got Pastors Tom Brockton Parish and Peter Kapsner. Gentlemen, welcome. Good hey, to be here again, Bill. Thanks, I, Bill. I say your names very quickly because I think people know you. Could you do it again or real slowly? I will. Our, our power panel today <laughs> is Tom Parrish, Peter Kapsner, and Pastor Tom hey, Brock. Excuse me. You put my name first. <laughs> um, okay. Now you put it last. I did. Bill. I wanted it. Put a little pause in there, a dramatic pause. <laughs> yeah, could you and have a little I, drum roll no, before you I'm get not to the doing third that. name? I'm not doing that. I just thought I would remember though. He who is first will be last. <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If you've listened to Guy Talk before, you know that we're absolutely open to taking any and all of your questions. You can send them via text over to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. If you've had a question you've always wanted to ask your pastor, but you didn't know quite how to do it, then you can ask these guys because they're here for you. Again, the uh, the number is 877-933-2484. First question today, gentlemen, comes from our friend Jim in Connecticut. And he said, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 16. I've never really understood the parable of the dishonest manager. It's a head scratcher for me, so I hope the guys can cover it and maybe shed some light on it. Well, I think I can. There's, Let's hear it, Tom Brock. There is, a, there is a principle that normally a parable makes one point. So if you press all the details of a parable, you'll be making up stuff that Jesus never intended to mean anything. If you overdo that one, you've got a, a possible interpretation that we should all cheat people so that we'll, uh, we'll get off better. No, the, the point of the dishonored steward parable is use money wisely and then they will receive you into the eternal habitation. So that's why we should be giving money to missions, spending our money for eternal things. Uh, there is one parable, though, the parable of the vineyard, where the guy keeps sending people to his vineyard to get the crop, and they kill the first couple, and they kill his son. That one you can kind of press every detail. But most parables make one point and don't try to make... Thing, uh, you know, you can you can you can press details and make a story say something that was really not Jesus' point. So I think that's a prime example. I would agree. Uh, as I'm looking at the text right here on Luke 16, it's really verses one through nine. One thing I've learned to do as I study the scriptures, I'll read through it, I'll contemplate it, I'll read through it again, may write some things down, and read through it again, and then I usually go to the very end. And I take the very end, like verses 8 and 9, The master commended the dishonest servant for a shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Then I put that up at the beginning. What if I heard that at the beginning of the there parable? Because that's the point. The point is, 
is that we should not be, because we're people of faith, we're not to be naive about the world and how the world operates. We're to use the things of this world to glorify the Lord and to bless others, not simply to spend it on ourselves, where most people in the world go after it for themselves. And Jesus is making a good point here. Your righteousness is revealed in how you handle things. Yeah, so I agree with the guys on this one. And I think then you can go, uh, just like Parrish said uh, to the beginning, but then if you also flip to the end, who the Pharisees were the recipients of this parable of Jesus, and they're sneering at him, and and Jesus says, uh, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And so when you, when you read verse 8, which is probably the verse that most people puzzle over, because it says, the master commanded the dishonest manager, I think we can unfortunately read that through the lens that Jesus is suggesting that the master is actually good-hearted in the story as well. And if we read it, that Jesus is just simply describing the the corrupt way of life of the Pharisees, where they're constantly kind of rewarding one another, and especially rewarding things like deceit and, and rewarding uh, dishonesty, their, their whole system of understanding was what would be considered detestable in God's sight. But they highly valued that system among themselves. And, and frankly, I think in a lot of business uh, associations and relationships that people might be in, or sometimes in, in educational settings, uh, just anything along those lines, there's a sense in which, hey, if if you were smart enough to use some bit of information to manipulate the situation to get ahead, I think that thing is still sort of valued in our society and, and among people that are in authority. So the point of that is I think we have to be a little bit careful to not look at verse 8 to say that the master is actually a good-hearted person commanding dishonesty. I think Jesus is just basically upending the whole false system of the Pharisees that's based on deceit and scratching each other's back and, and all of that kind of thing. Sure. And, you know, I, one of the best professors I ever had was Dr. Robert Stein when I was at Bethel yeah, College. Yeah, he's great. I had him too. <clears throat> well, you he did. Was great. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Did, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's the one who did this. So I had him for Life and Teachings of Jesus. And I think he put before the whole class the parable of the mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed yeah. is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it becomes a big bush, and the birds of the air take nest. And then he said, everybody write down what you think that means. Then he gathered them up, and he read them. And it was all over the board. Well, the mustard <laughs> seed is your faith. Or, no, the mustard seed is the way you do. I mean, it was all over the board. And, and you know, that is the one parable Jesus never explained. But the main normal uh, interpretation by most is that he's talking about the church, that the church is tiny when it begins, 12 and Jesus, and then it spreads and becomes huge. And and uh, the reason I'm bringing that up, when it comes to the parable of the unjust steward, parable of the uh, mustard seed, every Christian needs to have a big, thick Bible commentary in your house. So when you're reading the Bible and you stumble across something wondering, what on earth does this mean? You've got the ESV study Bible or you've got the Wycliffe commentary. Every Christian should go to a Christian bookstore and buy a good, thick Bible commentary. I agree. Yeah. I to... Go ahead, Peter. Go ahead, Parrish. No, no, go ahead, Parrish. I think that really Tom and Peter and I should come out with our own translation. We don't have to do the translation <laughs> oh, part. Oh, dear Lord, no. No, yeah. no. Wait, wait. You're going to understand this. Heresy, heresy. Most, most, of, the, <laughs> most of the commentaries, like the ESV, which I love, are theologically deep. We need little side paragraphs where, where Jesus says something, and then we put in, and the Pharisees went, ouch, and ouch, that hurts, because that's exactly what was happening. They were getting hit in their heart by what Jesus said. And he knew, they knew that it was directed mainly at them, not just at the people, but at them. 
And oftentimes we miss that. And even the commentaries aren't always good at pointing that out. Well, what do you say? About, oh, go ahead, uh, Peter. I think you had something else to add. Yeah, just quickly on the on the Robert Stein piece that, that Brock was talking about. I did have him as a professor, too. And I've told this story before, but I think he was about 180 years old when I had him. And um, <laughs> He's and still he, alive, I think. I, I think so, too, which is just remarkable because I had him some 20-odd years ago. But he taught us for four hours straight, never looked up from his notes, and he just kept jangling key after key after key about how to get into the scriptures. And I think, you know, Brock, you and I are not the brightest bulbs in the wor- or in the room, but from a class like that, we Excuse were me? able to start <laughs> we were able to start learning the scriptures, right? And and I love your point. Anybody that is part of our Faith Radio family can Man, can I'm start wounded. grabbing these commentaries and different Bible study tools and dig into these texts and, and it starts taking some of the mystery out of it. And I'll tell you what, it's absolutely exhilarating when yeah. you can start getting behind the scenes of the of the Bible. So what do you say to the person listening who says, no, 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 no commentaries? Uh, I just go by the Bible. Scripture will interpret Scripture, and and the Holy Spirit will teach me and guide me. I'm serious. I'm I'm not— And I'm serious. Those those people drive me crazy because they are an interpretation unto themselves. I get letters like this from people. Pastor Brock, I don't go to church anymore. I just read the Bible. And then you learn what they believe, Mm -hmm. and it's wacko. We're commanded, Hebrews 10, to be in church— so that when we read the Bible, we're not reading it all by ourselves, so we don't end up with wacko interpretations. So people yeah. that say, I, I just read the Bible, I don't read commentaries. No, I'm well, not saying that, though, Tom. Okay. I'm, saying, I'm saying you go to church, you, yeah. you love people, uh, but when it comes to personal Bible study, you don't use commentaries. It's Scripture interprets Scripture, and that's it. And I'll if, ask the Holy Spirit to guide me. If people can actually do that, I agree with that. Here's the problem. Most of us are not good at looking at a particular passage like this one. And then looking at all the other parables at the same time and saying, how do these line up together? How is Jesus speaking? How is he using this as an illustration? What we wind up doing is we isolate the text, and then we try to interpret from the isolation rather than from the, the, the command of the whole of Scripture. And so when I run into people say, Scripture interprets Scripture, I agree with you to no end. What other Scriptures line up with this that make sense that help us understand this? And that's usually where the stumbling block comes in. Because most of us haven't taken the time, and I'm not being critical, it's just reality, to really sit down and look at all the other parables and line them up with this one. When you do that, then you get a much better understanding. And and one of the 19 gifts of the Holy Spirit is teaching, which means God has specially gifted certain people who really know how to teach the Scriptures. Now, that doesn't mean you don't go to the Bible by yourself. You do. But why not take advantage of all the teachers he's given us for 2,000 years? Well, agreed. And I think there's um, some encouragement to, to do this additional work when you understand how the text even got to us in the English language. And so I, th- I think a couple pieces of encouragement among maybe 10 to 12 of what are called hermeneutical principles, that, that just simply means how, how do you get into the Bible to interpret it in, in the most faithful way possible. I think two of the most important principles to keep in mind are one, that the authors of Scripture were writing in an entirely different world. And and anybody that's traveled to any country, even today, and, and Brock, you've been traveling quite a bit this last year, different countries operate entirely different than the United States of America. And, and even within America, there's a ton of diversity in the South and the North and the West and the East. You just... 
then you take that and you multiply it exponentially into the first century Jewish world, there's all kinds of assumptions going on in the author's minds about the Bible, about, about their readers, that they're going to understand the setting. They're going to understand the situation, the geography of the land, the leaders of the time, the way these parables are being written. They're not thinking of 21st century Americans when they're writing the text. And so what commentaries do is they basically transport you into the world in which the authors are writing. And I cannot begin to explain mm -hmm. how much it helps open yep. up the text. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing, quickly, is that the Bible wasn't written by those same authors in English. And, and anybody who studies languages knows, uh, or knows another language, knows that there's oftentimes ideas that are being communicated in one language with one set of words that really don't necessarily have a one-to-one -one relationship with the concepts of the English language. And so you kind of approximate the best you can, but but the, an English word doesn't tend to have a one-to-one -one relationship with a Spanish word or or a German word. I mean, some do, some basic words, but your language is about taking concepts and then giving those concepts symbols that we can read. And those symbols don't translate very readily. So when you can start understanding the Hebrew concepts and how they're trying to communicate things or the Greek concepts of the Bible, it does open it up in some, some different ways. It doesn't mean that you can't go to the text and read it in English, but I just, I misunderstood the prodigal son story all the way up through today mm -hmm. when uh, somebody <laughs> at, at Faith Radio, uh, another a colleague of mine said, you know, I just heard a sermon, Kapsner, about the prodigal son, and it's really about the prodigal father because the word prodigal means to lavish upon. And Luke chapter 15 has all these stories about the lavish seeking love of the father. And I thought, well, well, there's another example, Kapsner, of having read something in the English, and you just missed out on the fact that, yeah, there is this son that walked away, but the story is about this crazy prodigal lavishing love of the father upon the walking away son, and it just reopened the story for me. Peter, you are the brightest bulb on the block. Well, oh, that, no, no, no. That it's was like so deep. Yeah. I, I want a book. Can you write all that down? Please don't, Tom. Don't encourage. No. We'll take a little <laughs> don't break. Encourage we'll, it. Yeah. Don't encourage we'll, it. Don't feed the beast. <laughs> we'll take a little break. When we come back, I'll, I'll be with Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. You're listening to Guy Talk. <laughs> and if you have a question, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Guy talk or guys who talk. I know you've got a question. I know you got something that you've been thinking about for months, maybe years. Let's let's hear it. Text it over, please. 877-933-2484. Before we move on, I think Tom uh, Paris, you got something to say to clean up our previous conversation. I'm going to do my best. All right. Uh, when you, I, as people listen to this, I don't want anybody to get overwhelmed with saying, "I haven't had the privilege of learning the Greek. I haven't had the privilege of studying the Hebrew." And I understand that. You can still really understand the majority of what the Scripture is saying without any difficulty at all, but get multiple translations. I think the problem is when you read from one translation, you're only getting one perspective from those people that put it together. I today was preparing, working on a sermon, and I looked at eight different translations, and I'm even going to share some of them on Sunday, how the different translations work on one verse. So you can do it. Nice encouragement. Thank you for sharing that. All right, here's my next question. I know quite a few people who are Mormon 
and it seems like they really believe that they are Christians too. I asked one of my Mormon friends just the other day about the Heavenly Mother they believe in and wanted to know more, but she seemed quite lost and said she really didn't know much about that. I just feel really sad that it uh, does really seem like most Mormons don't know their church theology very well. So I was wondering how I should approach LDS friends. Would it ever be a good idea to try to talk to them about how Mormonism might not be what they think it is? I wish they were not so unaware, but I also don't want to come off as offensive or make them feel like I'm attacking their faith. Mm-hmm. Great yeah. question. It is a good question. You know, I, I think as long as you started off with something like, you know, I don't want to offend you, but can I just share you with you what I believe about Mormonism? And I this I do it at the door when they come to my door, or if I, you know, all over the world you find the Mormons. And so, are on a plane. I was surrounded by about 20 of them once, and the guy next to me uh, opens up his Book of Mormon, I open up my Bible, and what I was told, you say, to the Mormons is from the book of Psalms, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Because Christians believe God has always existed. Mormons don't believe that. They don't know where God came from. He was a good man on another planet who attained godhood. And you can also become a a god. And the god that we worship used to be a a man on another planet. And you too, if you're a good Mormon, can attain godhood. You can get a, a, a universe of people to worship you. I mean, and if they don't, it's very possible there are some Mormons that don't know that that's what they believe. I do think the people that go door to door, the uh, missionaries know that, because when I talk to them about it, it's not like they fall over. But I think it's possible some people, they marry a Mormon, they start going to the Mormon church, and they don't realize that they're teaching that you can become God. they, They don't have one God in Mormonism. They have thousands of gods, and God is not eternal. He's not always existed. So one verse, and I, I again, I, I'm sure people, as long as you're loving and humble and winsome about it, and I, and I would say it this bluntly, I'd say, you know, no offense, but I don't think Mormonism is a Christian religion, and you won't go to heaven if you follow that religion. I mean, they came to my door once. I, I think we spent like two hours going at it, and they, I, I was, I bit my tongue for about a 45 minutes, and they shared the gospel. And their gospel is there's three heavens. If you're real good, you go to heaven number one. If you're not so good, you go to heaven number two. And if you're bad, you go to heaven number three. And it's all by how you live. And I, and I said, okay, can I share? My, and I listened for a long time. Then I said, can I share what I believe is you're doing if you go with door to door with that? I said, you're depressing people. I said, I'm not good enough for heaven number three, much less heaven number one. And the thing that saves me is Christ died for my sins. At which point the Mormon missionary said, Well, we believe all that. And I said, wait a minute. You just shared what you called the gospel. You didn't mention the word Jesus. So it's a strange religion because they'll use Christian language. They say they believe the Bible, but then they got the Book of Mormon that undoes biblical Christianity. So I think you can humbly, lovingly say, look, something's wrong here, and I'm concerned about your soul. The people that I met in life that have loved me the most and I have the most respect for were the people who took the time to tell me the truth. Yeah, amen. And too often, even as Christians, we are leery of doing that. I don't want to offend people. I don't want to hurt people. Mormons, and I've talked to a lot of them, are some of the best people in the world in terms of their behavior. Unfortunately, their theology leaves a lot to be desired because for them, Jesus is just simply a man. Yeah. 
And someday, you know, if you get married in Salt Lake City, you can have, uh, you'll eventually have your own planet, and you'll have your own sons, and one will be the Savior. And you have you get to pick which Savior he's going to be, and the other will be the devil. So it, it you get deep enough into Mormonism, it's really frightening. When, when people say, oh, but Pastor Brock, the Mormons, they're so moral, they're so loving, they're so family-centered. Okay, what they do with Jesus is wrong, but the other stuff is so good. I say, that's like saying... Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like the play? <laughs> if, if you get Jesus wrong, who cares if you love your family, you know? Yeah. Come no, on, Peter. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, very little. Yeah, those are like 100-watt answers there. I've got, I got nothing on that other than perhaps I just I love the idea that was part of that question of studying the history of that which you believe. And, and I think whether you're Mormon or whether you're Christian, I think it's a really, really good idea to 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 get some some easy to read but still enough depth and substance history kinds of books about your faith. Uh, one of my favorite classes that I ever had a chance to be a part of was a class at a university called Christianity in the Western Culture, and it was just I, it would probably take a month and a half to read the book. I suppose it was a two volume set, and it just took you all the way back through really pivotal moments in Christianity that then gave rise to certain ways in which we believe about our faith. And I think you can have that encouragement for Christians. I think clearly in this case, you can have the encouragement for somebody in the Mormon faith to just say, "Hey, why don't you look backwards a little bit and just see the origins of the thinking and and what happened here and and uh, what do you think after that?" And maybe like Brock said, just continue to have a conversation. I think it's a great invitation. You know, they have an interesting statement and. It goes something like this: As God is was, now, as yeah. God, go ahead, Tom. As God is now, now, no, excuse me, we shall become. Yeah, here we go. As we are now, God once was. As God is now, we may become. And I've quoted that back to Mormons, and I've asked them, "Explain to me what that means." And most of them are pretty stumped at that point. They really. The problem is, I think what I call most Mormons are level one Mormons. They they love the people. They love the church. If you've been to Salt Lake City, the paintings are phenomenal mm-hmm. when you go through their, their temple out there. But they don't go deep enough to find out what it really means. And I encourage them, read the Bible, not don't read, you know, just what Joseph Smith said or whatever. Yep. Read the Bible, read yep. in depth, and see what Jesus claims, especially in the Gospel of John. At age 16, my parents take us out to Nevada, and we go to Salt Lake City in Utah. And Mom, who's Missouri Synod Lutheran, conservative, uh, and I and Dad and the Catholic and my brother and sister go through the Mormon Tabernacle uh, Museum. Gorgeous pictures, beautiful. beautiful, huge picture of Jesus. I came out of there thinking, wow, well, maybe Joseph Smith did have a vision in the angel Morona. I mean, if you don't have a little bit of discernment, and I had none back then, <laughs> uh, you're going to get duped. <clears throat> All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, lots more Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. The power panel today is Pastor Tom Brock. Oh, thank you. Pause, pause. Pause. Tom Parrish and Peter Kapsner. And I just got a text from 007. As you know, he does as he pleases, and he's on some mission in Kosovo. So we don't, we're not going to get him today. So there you go. So let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Some of you like email a little bit better, and I'm okay with that as well. Bill at MyFaithRadio.com.
Welcome back to Guide Talk, where guys who talk, let me know what questions you would like us to uh, try to answer, 877-933-2484. Peter, I don't know if you have the text line up. There's a question there I'm going to have you look at before I ask it, because it came specifically for you. Oh, dear. Okay, yeah, I don't have it up uh, here on the remote location. Would you mind reading it to me or texting it over to me? No, I'll I'll text it to you, and that'll give you a a little chance to uh, think about it, uh, because I don't want want you to... uh, be taken by surprise so <laughs> so I will uh, I will do that uh, when I can get uh, another minute here all right here's a question um, our pastors said believers need to slow down with Bible reading it's not a race spend more time soaking in the word and drawing closer to Jesus any recommendations for how to do this yeah, I have quite a few because I've seen so much of this. I, I I keep getting people say, you know, I read through the Bible in one year. And I'll say to them, what'd you learn? Uh, hmm. um, well, it, that Old Testament, that's a hard one. Leviticus, well, the point, that's not the point. The point is we're building a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ through his word. He's speaking to us. And we want to spend time there. And part of it is, you know, and, and you can read it at any pace you want, but I encourage people to, to slow down. Maybe even take one chapter for a whole week and read through it several times and let it soak in. Because how many times, Tom, have you in the ministry and I've in the ministry, we've been reading the Bible for a long, long time. And suddenly we'll read a passage we've read a thousand times. And all of a sudden, it's like it's brand new. And that's part of that relationship building. So I encourage people to do that. Take your time, read through it, read it closely, ask questions, you know, of the Lord in prayer, uh, and then move along that way. And there's all kinds of ways you can do this. I, I, I kind of like to lay in bed and listen to Scripture for maybe 20 minutes. And then I get up and I go and actually open up a Bible. And if I heard something in that 20 minutes that I don't understand, I'll go to it and I'll go to some commentaries. Or I'll just go, like right now, I'm listening to the Psalms and I'm listening to Hebrews. But then when I get up to, to re- actually read the Bible... I think I'm going through, uh, no, wait a minute, Jeremiah right now. But again, I like to I like to read it slow because then when I've got a question, I'll, again, I'll go to the commentaries or look at the footnote on the bottom of the page. And uh, that's the way I do it slowly. But there's all kinds of ways. You can pick a, a Bible verse, a Bible chapter, and, you know, just read it super slow. And, and there's all kinds of things you can do. But, yeah, the uh, the one thing I don't do anymore is you just open and point, and that's the Lord's word for me today. Well, yeah, You know, the, remember, you're building a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're after. I'm not after, you know, I've been saying the Bible a long time. I'm not after more information so I can intellectually show everybody how smart I am. Mm-hmm. I want to know Jesus better, and that's the way I've learned to do it. Yeah, I love that idea that the Bible is not a race. I hadn't really used that metaphor before, but I think there is a sense that we we um, give priority to volume uh, over just really getting into the the depth of a certain passage of Scripture or a book of Scripture. And one maybe semi-related thing that I find fascinating, and maybe you all have experienced this as well, is I can come to a passage of Scripture, let's just say a random passage like something in Philippians 2 or 3, and maybe when I was 22 years old, it hit me in a certain kind of way. Uh, and then I'll return to it 10 years later. And it's the same meaning of the passage. And yet 
it hits me in an entirely different kind of way because my life is in a different kind of place. And I don't entirely know what it means that the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Some of the, the beautiful invitations about the scriptures that we see in the text. But I find it fascinating how when, when you have some depth and richness around the scripture that you do know, it tends to intersect in your life in different ways and in different seasons and from different angles. It is living and active. I find that fascinating. Nicely done. So another comment came in from Heidi who said regarding Mormons, some want to leave the faith but would lose their family in Mormon support, so they're yeah. hesitant to question their faith. Yep. And let me give you the Lutheran version of that. Well, yeah, Pastor Tom, I know that my Lutheran denomination that I'm part of has gone heretical, but all my friends are at that church. And our our highest uh, allegiance is not to a denomination or a group right. of friends. It's to Jesus Christ. Right. And so I, what, I, what I say to uh, conservative Lutherans in wacko denominations is put Jesus first. I'd say the same to a Mormon. If Jesus is your highest uh, priority, then, yeah, you're maybe going to hurt your wife's feelings. But for her sake, leave the Mormon church. It might make her think about it. It, it took me a long time to understand where Jesus said, you know, if you don't love me more than mother, father, sister, or brother, you're not worthy of Amen. me. And I think too often, you know, I've seen a lot of Christians whose son or daughter will come home and say they're transsexual or they're, they're whatever, and suddenly their whole theology changes because they want to sub- support and love their daughter. I understand that, our son. But that's not what we're to be doing. Our first loyalty is what Jesus said, and to do it, even if it means losing some friends along the way. And I had lunch with some Christians today, Christian people who lovingly told his brother, look, I can't go to um, your daughter's wedding as she marries a woman because I don't think it's good for her and, and it's not Christian, and, and they won't talk to him anymore. You had lunch? That uh, sounds made up. I had lunch. That sounds made up. No, really? I seriously did. And this couple is a dear Christian couple who did it as lovingly as they could, and they still. And I said, you know, at certain issues, if you're as loving as you can be, and these people are intent on on calling you a bigot. They're going to call you a bigot no matter how loving you've been. So there you go. Yeah. But they put Jesus first and their family second. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have lost their relationship with that side of the family. That's how we've lost this culture, to Christianity. I mean, Christianity is in the decline in America. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Why has that happened? Because you can go to pulpit after pulpit and class after class, and you hear more about how the culture is affecting the church with this belief system, yeah. then you hear what Jesus says and how we should be affecting the culture. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be held accountable for that one day when I stand before the Lord. So I want to speak the truth, and I want Jesus to be the center. All right, here's a question. More people than ever recently have no affiliation with any religion. What trends or patterns do you believe is causing this rise? I just read this. The Pew survey just came out. And what, 30% now of Americans say they have no affiliation with anything? They call them the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, or mm-hmm. something like that. Either they're atheist, agnostic, or they just don't side with anything. And why is that? Well, I'm going to lay this the blame at the feet of the liberal denominations that teach that everybody goes to heaven. Uh, gay sex is fine. Premarital sex is fine. Abortion rights are fine. When you've got a denomination, and there's no difference between it and the world, why go to it? Just just go to the world. And I think the, uh, uh, the way that um, biblical uh, criticism has destroyed the church, uh, I think is, has, is, again, if everybody goes to heaven, why go to church? Mm-hmm. I heard this expression, hard teaching, soft heart. 
soft teaching, hard heart. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the reality yeah. is, because I've taught preaching and teaching seminary and elsewhere, what bothers me is that too much of the preaching I hear or I run across today is not very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's wishy-washy. It doesn't have any real conviction to it. It doesn't ask, I mean, when was the last time you sat in church and when the sermon came to an end, the pastor said to you, now, after what you've heard from the Word, what is Jesus asking you to do? And most people have never heard that, so they leave and they say, well, that was a great sermon. That was a nice time in church. I love the music. But nobody comes out with a lot of conviction that I'm called to do something as a result of hearing the Word, not simply to hear it. Yeah, I, I think you guys are, <clears throat> excuse me, spot on in some of the, uh, much of this. I love the practice of just trying to discern the times a bit. What are what are the main questions of the age? What is moving people, and and how do we understand that? And and I'm sure you guys have seen it all in in all the years of vocational ministry too. But I think the times have changed substantially in the last three or four years that are represented in that research. I know maybe a decade ago, the times where so many believers were scared of this big angry God in the sky, and and God clearly has anger, and uh, and there's clearly judgment and sin and those sorts of things, but it, it had gone so far one direction that there, there needed to be this sort of constant reassurance in my classrooms that God actually is moved by love, his anger is passing. That just the, the times at that time were such that it required sort of this constant refrain of reminding ourselves of who God is. And today, all I can do is report what, I, what I've seen in the classroom in, in these last uh, three or four years. And this is coming from usually about 60 to 100 students per semester. And I, th- I think what's fascinating about that is that they're coming from a lot of different kinds of denominations, primarily conservative. Uh, so uh, I agree with you, Brock, when you say that about the soft teaching within the liberal church is, is one of the factors. But from the conservative side of things, and even, and even Bible-believing churches, what they're reporting to me, uh, and I actually ask them to reflect on their church experience growing up. So I have very specific questions and papers that I have them write. And, and if I was to aggregate or, or bring together all of those papers and look for the trends within them, which I do, the main trend is related to, the, to, to two things. One is an institutional abuse of power on some level that has, has made itself manifested in strife in the church or division in the church or hypocrisy in the church. People aren't actually who they say they are. So that's all of the moral failings and, and all of that on the one side. The other side is, I, I think, equally as intriguing, is they're they're just sick of being marketed to. They, they're looking for people who are authentic. They yeah. they look for people who, um, really, uh, their yes is their yes and their no is their no. And and they're so sick of being email listed. And they're so sick of trying to be drawn in to be, um, you know, giving units or the next generation or to be used on behalf of the organization. They they can see through the charades. They are really, really shrewd young people, and, and they're used to being marketed to all day long on the internet, and uh, and they just see through it all. They're like, baloney, not doing this deal anymore. Mm. Um, you're just making it up for your own sense of power and gain and trying to make a way and an income for yourself. So I'm just reporting what they're saying, whether mm-hmm. there is whether that's true. I, I mean, I think they probably have some fair criticism, but I'm not advocating for Joe Rogan at all, but he is the most popular podcaster in our country for a reason, and and his material is terrible. I mean, it 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 is heathen. It's it's not great. Um, but here's what I would say: the reason why he has such a draw is people perceive him to be authentic, and when you listen to him, that's Joe Rogan. He's not playing any games. He's not trying to market you into his whole little uh, orbit and all of that. That he just is who he is, and people love it. And so. I think the church has a, and and not just church, but any Christian ministry 
has a major reckoning in front of it that if it is not willing to change its posture away from marketing and brand management and bringing people in through marketing persuasions and demographic analysis, they're not going to make it because the next generation isn't fooled anymore. They want a real Jesus and a real kingdom and no more of the baloney. Good word. That's good. Yeah, really good word. Let me take a short break. Lots more guy talk when we return. Questions via text, send them to 877-933-2484. Or if you like email, bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. I said my Christmas bumpers have some bite. Don't that was they? a Christmas song. <laughs> they do. Is that yes. Christmas? Wow. That was Christmas. That was Christmas, Tom. Not <laughs> in your world, apparently. All, all yours, Bill. Not in your world, Tom. <laughs> give but me, apparently mine. give me, little drummer boy. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite Christmas song? What's the one song at Christmas time in church that just brings out every emotion in you? This goes all the way back to like 400 A.D. You maybe have never heard it. It goes. Of the Father's love begotten, ere all worlds began to be, He is Alpha and Omega. You know, have you ever heard that hymn? I haven't. It's gorgeous. Just, yeah. just is Google a Christmas hymn. Uh huh. Of the Father's love begotten, and just yeah. it it goes all the way back to four hundred A.D. Yeah. See, I only I don't go back that far. <laughs> <laughs> Brock, you Brock, you just brought up the little drummer boy. That one does it for me. That last line, and when Jesus turns and smiles at him after he plays his mm-hmm. best for him, I just turn into a blubbering Aww. mess. I love that line. Love I honestly line. had somebody come forward in church and say, "I've been in church all my life. I can't find the text that talks about the little drummer boy." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "It's not in there." Well, and they said, the "What do you mean it's not in there?" <laughs> Hey, Tom, what is your song that you like? I like Silent Night. Silent Night. Of all of them, I like that one. Uh, it's a lot shorter in age than the one you're talking about, Tom, but it catches mm-hmm. everything that I look for, what I see in the scriptures, especially yeah. in Luke. Yeah, Peter? Yeah, no, it's, it is a little drummer boy. Okay. Oh, oh, come all you faithful as well, especially when you kind of roll through the three different refrains. Um, I just, yeah, you sing that a cappella with about three, 400 people, and I just feel like the heavens have opened. Nice, nice. No, I, I do have a second favorite yours, song. Bill? Yeah, Bill. Mine would be Silent Night or O Holy Night. Well, I love this. Yeah. Mm. O Holy, Holy Night, Night takes yep. me down. My my second yep. one is I don't play it in church, but grandma got run over by a reindeer. There you go. <laughs> but you know, I, I listen to Christmas music all year long. Do you really? I love Christmas music. This explains a lot. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I've got Christmas decorations up all year round. That, that, the red that, super bell sound a bit much though. Yeah. <laughs> there we yeah. go. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, did you guys ever have a time or moment when you realized you were kind of going through the motions and you weren't necessarily uh, pursuing Jesus the way you should be? And how did you make the transition out of it? Mm. Mm. Good word. Yeah, for, I'll, I'll say for me, there's been moments when I was maybe employed in vocational ministry and, and you feel this pressure 
to to have to do and be an act in certain kind of ways, especially if you're in some sort of leadership. So there were certainly seasons uh, in which um, the ministry that I did also overlapped with with the way I was making a living. And there's a lot of tension in that a lot of times and and felt like, gosh, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you just have to be honest in those moments, right? And and come with humility and say, God, God, what's happening here? And and be willing to yield to whatever that is. And and um, and and usually in those moments, my heart gets a little less divided then, uh, because God was maybe taking it into a journey. But yeah, certainly I've been through the motions before. When my grandson was killed 19 years ago, and I'm a full time pastor, I literally went into just maintenance mode. I mean, I. I, I I was so discouraged, so frustrated. Um, I don't cry a lot, but I cried that year. There were a lot of tears. Mm. It was other Christians who stepped in. My wife, uh, and she needed just as much as I did, uh, some family members, but other Christians uh, that knew me and knew me well and knew what it was like and what I was going through, you know, were constantly calling me, constantly dropping by, constantly praying for me and encouraging me. And quite frankly, without them, uh, I felt like I was in one of those funnels and going down, down, mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. They pulled me back out, and I give the Lord credit for that. And, you know, I want to make—this is going to sound weird, but I want to make a little bit of a justification for going through the motions, meaning there are days I don't feel like praying. There are days mm-hmm. I don't feel like reading the Bible. There are days I don't feel like witnessing at all. I do it anyway because you get into the habit. Yeah. And it's better to yeah. go through the motions than do absolutely nothing. Of course. <laughs> so there yeah, you go. Yeah, no, that's a good word, Brock. Mm-hmm. Here's another question. My wonderful coworker wants me to go to her wedding to a woman. I have not said yes or no yet. We get along great. I don't know whether to go to the wedding or not. I got an answer. I'd say lovingly, humbly, you know, uh, I love you and you're a great friend, but I don't think the Lord wants you to marry a woman. And I hope you'll continue to be my friend. I'll continue to be yours, but I can't attend that wedding because I don't want to hurt you. And I think by doing that, it would hurt you. Yeah, I hear you. I agree. And I've even advised people to do that. I think, though, what what I'm doing now is saying to people, look, you don't always have to agree with what somebody's doing. I mean, if, if she really felt that way, then she couldn't work with that woman anymore either. She'd have to quit the job. Uh, there's a consistency there. But on the other hand, there are some people that I believe are gifted by the Lord that need to be at those kind of ceremonies, not to endorse it, but to speak his word into it. And too often we and Christians to be are, thrown out of it. Well, yeah, and, and there's a place for that. There is a place for that. But I think that, that we get so quiet and so shy mm-hmm. because relationships that we're so afraid to ever speak up. And I don't see Jesus doing that. I don't see Paul doing that. They waded right into everything. And they didn't compromise what they believed, but they were able to stand up for what they did believe. And too often Christians are absent. We need to find a way to be there to speak up. Doesn't mean we need to endorse the lifestyle. But if we're going to say, I can't be there because you're marrying a woman, then I can't work with you anymore, and I'm going to have to find a new job. Would Jesus go to a gay wedding? I think, well, he went with the tax collectors mm-hmm. and the sinners, so he showed up. He didn't endorse it. You don't hear about Jesus getting drunk. You don't hear about him taking taxes. But you hear him moving among those people, and he says, today salvation has come to this house because people were repenting. You know, what would it be like to go to one of those weddings and have people actually start repenting of their attitudes and behavior? you know, with the liberal lifestyle because they come at a conviction from the I, Lord. I, I just think we're in a day and age where everybody is being brainwashed by the media that you better uh, endorse LGBT stuff. Oh, yeah. And the 
uh, the little thing we can do as a Christian is say, I love you, but sorry, for God's sake, I can't go to the wedding, as, and, as a way of, of putting a little possibility that maybe something's wrong with I this. Have no, I have absolutely yeah. no problem with that. If that's where the Lord brings you, be there. Mm-hmm. But there are other people that the Lord's going to lead into that situation because they're going in with a prophetic voice. And we don't want to miss that opportunity either. I'm sure that when Jonah went into Nineveh, it was not, you know, whistles and bells when mm-hmm. he walked in the door. So sometimes we miss the opportunity, and I'm trying to balance that out. I don't have all the answers. I'm not saying there's one specific way. But on the other hand, we need to also have a voice in those situations that is not just the negative voice, but the voice saying, thus says the Lord in a very positive way. Yeah, I agree with both of you, too. I think that it is such a tricky question with with a lot of different layers to it. I know a a pastor friend of mine who wouldn't wouldn't be on the side of endorsing gay weddings, but it was his niece that happened to be getting married then to another woman. So it was exactly the situation. And he found himself in in somewhat of a no-win situation because then when he was at the wedding and he um, posted a, a picture of the wedding somewhere on a social media feed, the feedback was one of two versions of feedback. One was that he was smiling far too wide in the picture. And then the other feedback was he wasn't smiling wide enough. Ugh. And so it, it was just, it was no win for him in those moments um, about this. And and I think for for me in ministry, clearly I would not gar- marry somebody that was at a gay wedding, nor would I offer a blessing or a prayer at, uh, right. at a wedding situation. I would turn those things down. But I also sympathize, Parrish, with what you're saying, that I think that God can invite us right into the midst of those things and 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 be and at the risk of being misunderstood to stand in that gap and hold the tension and whether it's at the ceremony itself or some other time in a person's life that you, that you do have that prophetic voice because I, I'm pretty well convinced that if we could fast forward 20 or 30 years from now looking at this issue while being informed by history History shows us that uh, gender blurring and gay relationships uh, show up in a lot of different cultures over these last two, three, four thousand years, and they don't tend to last that long or get traction for a very long period of time. They tend to kind of implode. And so if we're willing to kind of stand in the gap and be ready uh, for, the, for the coming implosion on all of this and, and not necessarily cut off the relationship unduly for when that implosion happens, then we can be there to help minister to people in the midst of the implosion. But Brock, to your point, I totally understand it too. You, you don't want to be misunderstood to, to be celebrating all of this either. So that's <laughs> yeah. a tricky balance well, in between in my mind. So I, I, I went to a Presbyterian church. It's a good Presbyterian church, biblical pastor. And he got up and he preached, you know, I, my niece is a lesbian. She got married to a, a woman and they invited me to come. And so, you know, I wanted to show her I loved her. So I went to the wedding, et cetera. And I went in between the services up to the pastor. I said, I've got same sex attraction. I don't think you should go to that wedding. I mean, do we care where she spends eternity? Wouldn't it be better for you to lovingly say, look, this is a sin. And I didn't say it to him, but I, I, have you done that, Pastor? If you attended the wedding, are you going to go the next step and say, look, that was wrong? And I think if you don't, attending the wedding says to them, hey, he must be fine with this, and he's a pastor. So if you're going to go to the wedding, I, see, I don't think you should go. I, I think it's a, a wrong message. Unless you speak up. I yeah. mean, how many but who's going to do that? Who's going to go to a lesbian wedding and raise their hand? Excuse me, this is unbiblical. You know what I mean? I have. And the reason I say that is I think that there are prophetic voices that need to step in there. I don't want to make this 100% don't go or whatever. Okay. But you need to listen to the Lord and what the Lord tells you to do. And then when you're there, you don't chicken out. 
There's a place for saying, I'm here, I love you both, Jesus loves you, but he grieves over what you're doing today. And oftentimes that never happens. And so Mm -hmm. we just become silent and we don't have a voice. Okay. Yeah, and I think there's another uh, maybe just added piece of that puzzle that I think that that time can even come up a little bit later. I mean, it is that weird tension because you don't want to be right. misunderstood as being there to bless it. But let, let's just say three years down the road, the relationship breaks up or different questions happen or different stuff. The fact that you didn't sever the relationship unduly, um, and, and I think God could invite you to speak up right in the ceremony and say, stop. But I also think that God's redemptive activity takes a lot of different forms and a lot of different timings. So so to be a person of discernment that can run the risk of being misunderstood and be ready to speak up when it's time, uh, that that takes a lot of discernment. And it's perhaps not one size fit all, fits all, but it is yeah. not an easy question for sure. Well, the goal of the Christian life is not to burn bridges unnecessarily. We want the people to be able to come back across the bridge to the gospel. Yeah. And I just recently had that happen. I had uh, two women that are married and been together, and I just had one call me and say, "I've made a mistake. I don't know what to do. Mm. How do I how yeah. do I deal with this?" And they've been together for many many years. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that bothered got to me is she said you were the only one that spoke the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you once again. Another uh, great you, episode Bill. of Guy Talk. It's always a Good pleasure to be, to be with you. And thanks for the friendship and the fellowship. Mm-hmm. I know listeners have uh, enjoyed this hour, and not to mention the text line has lit up in the last two minutes so i, I wish that. i wish we had more time but we don't but thank you we'll do it again uh next time so that is all the time we have for guide talk thanks for your questions if i didn't get to them trust me i've kept them in the queue they will be uh, done next time what happened that ended like 10 seconds early. thanks for listening programming like this is made available through your support Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.